0: welcome to the cinema australia podcast with matthew eels
1: he's an alcoholic and he's just out of rehab don't let him leave do you want to ruin
0: christmas i wonder chris if you've uh, thought about what you will do now you saw the light not so long ago i had a uh, us agent publicist manager and now i've got nothing nothing nice close to santa Ready? One, two, three! How are you feeling about going back out into the world? I don't know, probably about as happy as the world is to have me back. Chilling, <coughs> okay.
1: That's for breaking Janice. Janice Joplin, my favourite pop plant. I recognise you from the Tellies. I
0: saw my daughter today. It's the first time I've seen her in 20 years. Go see her, Chris. Today. Don't waste another Christmas. My daughter's coming for Christmas. We're not serving KFC. She hates me enough as it is. I'm from the house a few doors down and now I'm...
1: One, two, three. Oh. What the heck? Dude, you are not special. There are a ton of messed up people and they come out of the woodwork at Christmas.
0: Oh, please, come on! Flying pilots just like you flying in and out of people's
1: lives and you're just too self-absorbed to even notice the damage you cause. Oh, come Santa,
0: home. have you had
1: anything to drink tonight?
0: I believe in you, Chris. Just a season for believing. Well, your presence is seriously the best present I could have. This is going to be the best character you ever played.
1: the trailer for Christmas. Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eels. In this episode I'm joined by filmmaker Heath Davis to discuss Christmas, which he wrote, directed and co-produced. If you keep up to date with the latest Australian film releases, you've no doubt heard about Christmas. Uh, It's getting a lot of buzz at the moment, uh, with sold-out screenings on the East Coast, upcoming screenings in Western Australia and Tasmania, there's national media interest, and you may have even spotted a digital billboard for the film on your way home from work, which is quite rare for an Australian film. If you've already attended one of the screenings, uh, you would have heard Heath talk during a Q&A. He's doing his best to travel around the country with the film, which is admirable. This is a filmmaker who backs and believes in his work. Heath is one of Australia's most exciting filmmakers and there are very few filmmakers whose new films I anticipate more than his. If you haven't seen his film Book Week, I highly recommend checking it out. In my opinion, it's one of his best. Heath's other films include the crime thriller Locusts and Broke as well as a stack of shorts which have enjoyed, enjoyed success at Tribeca, Flickrfest, Myth and more. Christmas follows Chris, played by Steve LaMarquand, a once-famous actor who now performs as a shopping centre Santa Claus after his alcohol addiction puts a pause on his acting career. After bumping into his estranged daughter, he seeks help for his recovery in order to win his daughter's forgiveness. Christmas co-stars Middle Kids lead singer Hannah Joy in a breakout performance and Darren Gilchon in arguably the best performance of his esteemed career put simply, Christmas is unmissable. It's the perfect tonic to most of the mind-numbing Hollywood dross currently saturating mainstream cinemas. The Hunger Games Part 47? Really? More and more Christmas screenings are popping up daily, so be sure to follow the Christmas page on socials to find out where you can see it near you. And if you're wondering why I'm pronouncing it Chris-Mess, that's because that is the title of the film, and uh, that is also how it's spelt, Chris-Mess. So when you're looking for it, it's M-E-S-S on the end instead of M-A-S. Anyway, enjoy. Heath Davis, thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's great to have you on.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here, and uh, congratulations on like the, the birthday of Cinema Australia. It lives on and gets bigger and bigger.
1: Oh, thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary
0: recently and it's been a hell of a ride. 10 years, man. Like, most people don't have a film career that goes 10 years. (laughs) Uh, That's right. You survived 10 years. Of talking to filmmakers for 10 years, man, that's a lot of, like, woof.
1: Yeah, there's still a lot of new stories out there to discover, so I'm enjoying every minute of it. Yeah. And uh, as I was uh, looking through your filmography before, I was actually, um, you know, uh, looking at it in conjunction with Cinema Australia's 10 years because you've kind of been there since the beginning of Cinema Australia and and I've covered all of your um, in all of your films ever since then.
0: Yeah, we're kind of, it's interesting, you know. It was like we're sort of this, you know, a low-key battler that's you know that's kind of like the films that i've had and you started just you know as an indie guy with, a, yeah, with yeah. a web design and just an advocate for movies and you know on the other side of the the coast where and it was just your passion and drive and belief and yeah. people see that that is sort of a you know as a genuine thing and when it's genuine they sort of get behind it when you do yes. some you know, good work and um so yeah i oh I, I, you know I, I always try i read cinema very daily and always try and support everybody's stuff and your stuff because yeah. we've all got to work together man and that's great yeah just had a big chat with an exhibitor an independent exhibitor last night all about it And he was like man he inherited the cinema from his father and he's like, why aren't exhibitors and filmmakers in the constant dialogue with each other? And I'm like, yes, I'm yes. hearing you, mate. Like, we've yeah. all got to come together and 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 embrace collaboration. Because when you do that, when things happen.
1: Yeah, there's nothing more important than collaboration in this industry. And and it is something that I bang on about. Um that's probably a conversation for another time. We're here yeah, to discuss is. we could uh, be here forever. <laughs> Yes, uh, we're here to talk about Christmas. Um, there aren't many Australian filmmakers, actually, whose films I anticipate more than yours. Um, it's it's always exciting news to me when when you announce a new movie, and I guess that's because you do, do a great job at turning over a new film quite regularly. Um, you've made uh, four films in the past seven years. How does that number sit with you? Would you like to have made more, uh, you know, mentally and physically? Could you have made more?
0: People bring that up, but it doesn't feel like that. Uh, Because what happened to me was in my 20s and 30s, I wasn't made, you know, I didn't make anything. And I know that's a young age, but I'd made these short films and I'd written this script and got a lot of traction, you know, in in Hollywood land. And I had all these people and famous people. And I lived over there. And I I sort of felt like I spent all this time not doing anything more than a decade and I was you know I was young and I learned about the business a lot but um I was like wow you know it's 15 years that film still hasn't been made and believe it or not people still come to me um and talk about it so I was like I don't want to waste any more time so when I decided hey I've got to control my fate destiny and you know and and you know things moving myself I was like okay I'm I'm kind of making up for lost time. And I know for people that might sound strange. He's like, he's made four films in seven years, which is rare. Um, But, yeah, there was a long drought period. And I'd seen some of my mates who were fortunate enough to get their first movie made on, like, a handsome budget. Yeah. And then they were, you know, for whatever reason, haven't made another film. And that sometimes... 10 years and yeah. and they were like, well, you know, can you go from $20 million to less than $20 million so mm-hmm. I've never had any of those $20 million budgets in these movies so um, yeah, so my philosophy on filmmaking just changed completely and I had these stories so I felt like, hey, I've got to get them done before I get too old and, yeah. um, and now, and I said this last night at one of the screenings, like I, I may never make another film because it takes yeah. so much out of you and I'm 45 with two kids and um, and it, you know, and it, you, you rely on so many other people, and uh, it's just a slippery slope to get a film made. So um, there are some things I still would like to make, but you know, it, it's you know, uh, you know, you're not early thirties. You're closer. To, you're getting closer to fifty. Mm-hmm. Time just go. Time you, you notice time when you make movies. Yeah. It's like oh my god, because the time you made it and release it, years have passed almost like your children it is like you're just a constant calendar ticking over and yeah. so I didn't want to waste time um yes if yeah. that makes sense
1: yeah now you've explained yourself quite well there but uh, I'm wondering was there a particular moment where you did kick in the gear to to get started on on broke when you made that
0: yeah it was actually the moment where I went I'm not making films anymore because yeah. I was young, and i would made all these short films and short film format. That was like when people still really sort of cared about short films. Um, yes, and I was like, I love that process, the collaboration, like the dream we're making a movie. Like we're shooting those short films on film. Digital technology was 't what it was back then and you know I had to save my money and it was like there's no dailies you'd have to be super diligent with what you were gonna get and how many tapes you're gonna have and it's like 35 mil film I filmed on and when you're making film shot on film like everyone on the crew is like well because you can hear it turn over you know yeah. so it's, uh, it's like a it, it, you feel like you're alive so I uh, that was you know I was chasing that and then when I had this film get you know, picked up in LA and going over there and just big finding and discovering and learning the, the business side of things and the people and the way things are made and that. I was like, this is so foreign to who I am as a person and to the stories I want to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I sort of learned uh, while the film was being stumbled and fumbled and people were, you know, acting in certain ways. And I worked on all these other big budget films just to make money and, I was like, hey, this is not how I do things. This is yeah. how I do things. And I don't like how they're doing that or the way they're treating people. And so I kind of came back and I went, look, if that's movie making. Like, I just don't fit in. It just, it's just not how I roll. Mm. But then it was my buddies who I made my short films with. And I'm like, hey, why don't we just go and take that idea that you had as a second movie, which was going to be like, set in Las Vegas, yeah. and make it like... Totally Aussie, quintessential Aussie, we'll do it like our short films. And, and that was around the time that I had a good mate in Brooklyn who crowdfunded a movie, like big people in it. And I was like, wow, this crowdfunding thing, maybe we could do that. I know some yeah. people would do that and I could do this. And so I wrote it for the money that I had. I didn't try any governments. I was just so over being promised things and lied to and I was like, I've got to control this because I want to, you know, do what I do with the short films and just show people this is my voice, right? Yeah. Um. And so we did it and it was the, the best thing that I've ever done, like that's ever happened, that I've ever done in the process yeah. of making it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the outcome was successful, you know, Very successful,
1: so, yeah. People yeah. people loved it. Uh, now, you have touched on two of my next questions, Ed, which I do want to ask you. But before I do, uh, are you the kind of creative who is constantly thinking of new ideas and coming up with new stories? Or do you tend to come up with one idea at a time and stick with it until uh, completion?
0: Uh, look, I have too many and there's things that are written and that different budgets. But so, uh, um, And sometimes it's really hard to go, this is the one that I'm going to just immerse myself at and make. So there's an element of like courting the idea and then going with it now. It's just going to have legs. Um, so, but that generally tends to be those projects that um, I know that I call them the DIY projects. So I know that I can actually get up myself yes. and, yeah. Um. And they're very hard. It's very hard to come up with an idea that you execute on not with not much and do it very well. Like those ideas are not easy. Um, and so every once in a while they come around. And I, you know, I go, mm, you know, and when I make a film, there's always the hope that the next one's going to be a bigger budget. And so, um, and what generally happens all of the time, I'm, when I'm making a film like this, it's the last one. It's so hard and. An idea comes that I fall in love with during the actual making of the, of that current movie, <laughs> right. all of the time. And the same yeah. thing happens on Christmas. Um, <laughs> I had this I had this idea, I had a landscape for a movie, and by the time we wrapped, I knew every scene back to front, inside and out. Wow, and wow! So I had to sit down and just let it out. So yes, yeah, yeah, and it's probably I mean you know. <sighs> Bloody good! It's my favourite. It's like there's something there, and, and you know, I, I don't know if it's achievable the way we've made the other movies. Maybe, um, but we're aiming higher, hopefully. Um, and I, you know, it's had some government love that script, so who knows? We might actually not have to. And steal again. Creativity spawns creativity for me. Mm, mm, mm. Yes,
1: and uh, that—that's a great segue into my next question, actually, because as a as a total hypothetical here, uh, if you did have regular financial backing uh, of a national funding organisation like Screen Australia, how often do you think you'd be able to pump out a new film? And <laughs> and I do ask this question because Broke Book Week and Christmas have all been uh, partially
0: crowdfunded. You know, I, I could probably, I don't want to, you know, you don't, don't want to oversaturate yourself. But with no. the ideas that I have that are actually quite good and some of them, like we weren't going to do a Christmas, there was another project. It was actually I had a good chunk of private investment It was going to be put together at a, like a low-cost budget, a few million bucks. And I got, we actually attracted a really terrific name, British actor who was going to come out for Model R. And COVID happened now, just torpedoed everything. So, and then I was like, what am I going to do? And then, you know, the Christmas idea came about. So, look, there are a couple of, you know, it would be great. I always say it would be great to make a film every three years because the time, uh, it generally takes that amount of time, even if you have the budget, you just, you know, the bigger directors aren't, you know, they have all the other handmaidens and helpers and all the different facets so they're not always across it but even if you have a, a good budget it's generally minimum three years of your life from yes getting the script ready cart like to getting the talent and working around their availabilities and then completing the movie and, then, and finding the right period of time to release it you know so that's yeah. it's, it's so when people come up to me and go hey I go, would you do this and it's like it's not even about money now. It's about time because I'm like, hey, I don't have all the time in the world like I once did, and there's only a certain amount of time I've got left, so I've got to be quite discerning with how I want to spend it, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And yeah. um,
1: Talk talk to us about the crowdfunding process. How have those experiences been for you? Because I know you're obviously grateful for the public's contribution, but but is it stressful? Are you always keeping an eye uh, on
0: what's man, coming in? It's incredibly stressful. I don't know if I want to do it again. Um, yeah. Yeah. it's just really stressful and then when you like you know you do it once you're like oh my uh, 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 you know and then uh, am i am i asking too many favors from people yeah. now like well does it gonna look and but then I'm, I'm like well you know i really believe in the movies and i really think people are gonna like it and yeah. some of the guys got behind the films before really want to be a part of something and so yeah you sort of I'm, there's always this sort of moral dilemma but it's a Commitment. It's not like, hey, here everybody in crowdfunding community movie. You gotta push it. You gotta have, you gotta have a, a campaign strategy you gotta work around it. And it's really hard. It is really stressful. And you're like, oh man, because you feel like your hopes of whether you're gonna make the film or not are relying on this. And mm-hmm. um, you know, and in filmmaking, you want to control as many variables as you can, and that's a big uncontrollable yeah. variable. So um, but you know. Never say never with the right circumstances, but yeah, it's look at it's you know, it's not something that you choose to do. Um, if that makes sense, so.
1: yes, yeah, yeah. And uh, now I'm not expecting any personal attacks here, and I hope I'm not uh, you know, opening up too big a can of worms. But what's your opinion on the Screen Australia system? Is it a fair system? And if you could choose one thing about it to change, what would it be?
0: Uh, well. You know, it's really difficult to get a true. I mean, you can have private conversations with people, right? And they will yeah, tell you yeah. their true, honest opinions. Mm. But publicly, they never will because they yeah, don't want to bite the right. hand that feeds them, right? So, <laughs> yes. yeah. it's the truth. It's like, well, why get up them offside? And and but I know, you know, personally, a lot of people have done the job, um, and do the job, and you know, it's a government, and government is politics, and yes. it's not an easy job for the individual who actually worked there right? right so um because they're at the mercy of politicians and agendas and things and so it's never it's, you know it's never really a personal um you know decision against anybody I, not from um from the conversations that i've had and there's some really good people that have worked there so and some go in with great like, like passion to do things but you know the system doesn't allow it, so it's a systemic problem, not yeah. like an individual problem. That's right. How that changes, um, you know, you, the mandate's got to change completely. And I just think they don't, you know, but I support all sort of filmmakers, and I mean the stories have got to be good, but. You know, they don't have to be. Yeah, you know, Australian films are over budgeted. And I know the government's like, okay, we've got to pay top dollar for everybody, but nobody knows the business, the crew, the cast, the agents. And they don't actually know the actual business model and what a, an Australian movie is actually worth, right? Yeah, so, yeah. and Screen Australia only give you a portion of the financing. So you've got to match that. And there's always some poor financier who does his <laughs> ass on an Australian. <laughs> All of the time. Yeah. yeah. And that's a problem because Mm -hmm. these are real people's money, like real money, and they're they're behind, they want to support and they want to give money to Australian films, and then they want to succeed, and then they want to give more money for more other Australian films. So, look, you know, if I was in charge, I've always said I'd just, you know, cut the budgets down of these movies, and everybody's going to have to come together and say, hey, kind of a little bit like the model that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck have now. If you believe in this movie, we've all got points on the back. Everybody works for minimums. But, hey, we've got $50 bucks this year and we're going to make 50 50 movies maybe or we're going to make 25 movies at $2 million budgets. Then they're all going to be of different genres. They're going to be filmmakers at different levels. And, you know, filmmakers are going to be allowed to fail on their first movie because the budget's not going to be that massive and not Going to do their house on it. So, mm-hmm. but that requires distributors, exhibitors, producers, agents, agencies, everybody combining and changing mm-hmm. the mindset of how Australian films are put together and yeah. pretending that we're kind of like a system that doesn't have a government, like mm-hmm. the US and these. There's, it's a business. Like people yeah. lose their jobs, they get fired. Like it's a model. So, we need to sort of emulate that. And we still, you got to tell, you know, still tell those stories that have cultural significance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, but not all of them because it's so hard to get, you know, people to watch them. And and that's right. It's got to change. We we have to change the stigma um, of what an Australian film is to your film. And just like the Melbourne Cup, you look at the trainers that are always got the winners, you have to bet on the pedigree. Um, of the filmmaker and we've got to be edgy, we've got to take some risks man. We just can't yes. go out and emulate things that have failed before and make more just fluffy Netflix type, you know, soap soap stuff. Like stand out, you've got to be inventive. And yeah. we we are not inventive, we're very reactive. And that mm. that's the problem. And that process and that philosophy is not working. So why keep you know, following a broken model. That's my opinion on. It. But hey. I've had their support on projects and scripts, and we're very fortunate to actually have it because I know, especially with development, I know a lot of people in different parts of the world that feel for that. Um, So we are fortunate, and it's not the individual's fault. It's just um, you know, it's just the way that it's yeah
1: as you said it's a systemic thing and now what was that level of support for you you mentioned development funding there but you also had post-production funding on yeah, uh, on book week was it is
0: which is kind of a bit of a shame um I, I think because on book week we got what was called completion funds right so we went out funding, yeah yeah we were uh, you know industrious enough to get it out there and make this film and get it in a can and cut it and it was good and, you know, look what we did, you know, and and they were like, yeah, this is really great, we want to support that. And then somewhere along the line they, they stopped completion funding for films. So, and it's only a tiny investment. I was like, there's no risk here. You either like the movie or you don't. And yeah. <laughs> so they call it enhancement funding and you, can, you can't complete yeah, I don't really understand the decision behind that, but, um, especially for the first time, younger filmmakers who are just mm-hmm. getting out there and making something and, you know. Um, And also just the offset, like, why it has a quota of $500,000? Like, the offset should just be applicable to every budget movie. Like, mm-hmm. So, you know, we didn't even qualify for the offset on most of these movies because we couldn't get to the $500,000 mark. Like, yeah, yeah, like most um, people would never be so, able to get to that. Oh, that's a lot of money. And, and yeah. so, you know, and there's some private investors. I've had the conversations with them to say, hey, if we can get the budget for 500 and, you know, we have a sales agent and a distributor, which is also problematic because they put you into a bad deal because they know you need them for your offset and then mm. you're in a bad position. So it's flawed in so many ways, mm. uh, you know, and then they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, you know, it's the ATO. They give you the 40% back if you qualify. So, but it's mm. got to be 500 and I'm like, why does it have to be 500 I don't know where that right. figure ever came from um mm-hmm. yeah I'd love to know. You know I'd like to know too it's like okay. yeah it's not easy to raise a you know private five hundred thousand dollars so yeah. now you mentioned enhancement funding there.
1: what what does that even mean is it to well, touch up special I've effects or something
0: it. I've never had it but um you know it means like hey with with' completed completed our movie but we want to enhance like titles or music or or something specifically like that um but yeah i mean you know that's something but it's not you know i mean generally by the time you get to that stage you really don't need enhancement you should also you might as well be better off to saying hey we're after marketing funding to buy some social media ads yes
1: now that would come in handy
0: yeah, and that's a bigger problem because how do you get people who actually know that the Australian films exist? Because yeah. the press won't get, the majors won't put TV ads on unless you've got yeah. Tom Cruise or Nicole Kidman. You know? Yeah, it's all paid Kidman to Australian. That's yeah. right. So the commercial networks will only support a movie if it's got a big yeah. actor in it. They don't do Australian films. So across the board, it's a problem because you're not yeah. getting support. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that that every film should have some form of... Um, You know, marketing campaign during COVID, we had those like the state government would send out those vouchers for like dining out and things. And like I was talking to a cinema owner the other night, I was like, imagine every Australian got like uh, an Australian film voucher for like five films in a year or something. You know, and you go and you watch one, one, you buy one, get one free on a certain night or something. Pete, you know, hey, that's a that, terrific
1: like, idea. I love that.
0: Yeah. Like, you know, I've, I've told everybody that. They're like, yeah, hey, it's a good idea. Like, Let's do something about it. You know, you helped out childcare, you helped out the local cafe and all of these things, man. Yeah. The cinemas. It's not just the cinemas. The, the filmmakers that benefit from that. It's actually the exhibitors. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and uh,
1: Yeah, and these uh, uh, platforms like Netflix and uh, Paramount and, and platforms like all that do it, have these. They do have these Australian quotas that they need to start making Australian content. Cinemas should start having the same thing. They the should be forced, some and of these big things should be – cinemas should be forced to show Australian content. Totally.
0: And, you know, the street where the cinema is, the restaurant next door and the bar afterwards, they all benefit when there's people patronage coming out yeah. for the movies and where do they go after or beforehand, you know. so Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. – but anyway, you know, this is just my, my ideas, I think. Yes, and it's nice. bit, you know. I'm on <laughs> and, the ground. Uh, like, you know, yeah. I see it. I've done it a lot of times now and I'm on the ground and I, mm. I see these things – I'm like, that might work, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, regardless of all of this and everything that we've discussed, you have managed to uh, produce this fantastic film called Christmas and uh, I watched it last night ahead of this interview. I, I like to watch films, you know, quite close to the actual interview so they're fresh in my mind. Um, I absolutely love this film. You've done a, another incredible job at humanising these, these characters, um, the, you know, these broken characters in, in a sense. And uh, uh, you recently travelled the film to the Austin Film Festival in Texas, how was that
0: experience for you? It, well, it was, you know, it's so surreal and I've done a lot of festivals, but it was the best experience I've had. Um, it was life-affirming. Like it, it actually inspired because I was getting a bit jaded. I was like indie films and whatever, and but I went over there and, you know, I I saw the It was just a city of hope. I, I saw what was possible. And this is not just for filmmaking, this is just for the arts and just for life, like people's philosophy on life in general. Like There's 400 bands on a night in a city of one million people and the rooms are packed. The main street of Austin is shut down Thursday to Sunday every week just for revelers and part and bands and whatever. And the cinemas were all packed. Like, good, they played the, the festival. It's just so well run so well attended and just a great program. But the people were just cool, like famous filmmakers and actors and regular joes. There was no, hey, you can't go on that VIP. because they, Like everyone was just accessible and, and they were going to each other's movies, like yeah. filmmakers seeing somebody else's movies and famous people because, hey, that sounds really cool. I saw the trailer. I'm going to come and support. Like I was, it really just disarmed me because, you know, I didn't know that. That existed, and it's, it's it's you know the citizens have created that, and so was their government, and people have moved from all different parts of the world, and, and America have to sort of have that vibe. But everyone attributes it to Richard Linklater and Robert Rodriguez and Elizabeth Roberts, his wife, and Linklater um, is just a genuine, lovely, supportive man, and he's they all started as these like filmmakers in Austin, Texas. Like, there's no Hollywood out there. It's like kind of being in Penrith, right? So, and their attitude was, people, other people first, man. Support each other first before you support yourself, and that's what they preach to everybody else. And it's just this community of like people in you know, Austin, just going, "Hey, you know, like, I had a filmmaker pick me up from the airport and buy me breakfast. I'd never met him before. <laughs> I was it's like, how, never happen. How does that happen?" Well, he was just cool and he's yeah. made great films. And I was yeah. like, man, and, you know, I've reached out to a couple of locals over there, said, hey, i got this movie, you should come watch it. They're like, man, I heard about your movie, it's a really great festival, I'll come and pick you up and I'll, I'll give you the lay of the land. And he was like, what do you want for breakfast, man? You've flown that, you know, 16 hours, come and watch it. And, mm-hmm. uh, who like, who are these people? I've never had you know, filmmakers don't turn up to your movie in this country mm-hmm. or promote them. Like, I don't know, take you out to breakfast and buy it. but. Like, yeah. Um, what, what an yeah.
1: encouraging experience it
0: must have been for you, and that was that was the first time I got off the plane, and it was like. Bands playing in the airport, and I was like, This is my town. And then this guy picked me up, Lance, great man, and we've become good buddies. You know, it was just, and then they loved the movie the heart, the emotion, just the truth, emotional resonance. And it was this Australian film, which is a Christmas film. And the marketplace, you know, told me, Hey, uh, there's no business making an Australian movie, no one's going to want to see that at Christmas. And everything they said at the beginning. All the same people were sort of eating their words a little bit. It's just the humanity in the movie, yeah. No matter where they're from, mm-hmm. and it's just it was proof in the pudding.
1: Yeah, it was yeah. Really, so, yeah
0: it's really great.
1: So, what was the general reaction like? Because an American Christmas oh, yeah. is the complete opposite to an Australian yeah, Christmas. But
0: I was like, people were crying, people were hugging me, and like famous, like it was just the emotional truth. Because we don't get these movies made anymore. Like the studio yeah. at the but, they don't make these movies. And people have lost that connection, mm-hmm. especially during COVID times, right? And so, but we all grew up on those kind of movies, you know, the Shawshank Redemptions, not that I'm comparing this film to that in any way, no. but <laughs> on an emotional scale, like people love movies. They want to be moved, they want to be like compelled, they wanna love their characters and they you know i don't mind crying in them they want to connect on an emotional level we don't get it anymore and you know this film delivers that and when they get it it sort of disarms them because they're so foreign you know so um that was the cool that you know and i just you know they're compelled like it's not like hey they're laughing at the gags because they got that it's just like the story and it's the characters and truth and you know some big filmmakers really just you know said some wonderful things that I you know and these are guys that I, I totally esteem and lo- yeah. love their work and so that was really rewarding and you know famous actress play like, hey, if I'll fly this 16 hours to come work on your next movie for like nothing and I was like I was like hey you know I'm the kind of guy that will call you out on that so. yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> quick yeah crowdfunding with a famous person <laughs> Uh, did you get to um, you catch
1: know, many films while you were there? I did. I business?
0: saw some great. I had to tell the other filmmaker. I was like, "Hey," because the first part of it's a big writers' conference too. You got, you know, there's yes, people yeah. pitching you and this, and and then it was like all those sort of people left, and then it was just the filmmakers and the movies. And uh, you know, I, I was kind of like the CEO of the group of the filmmakers. I was like, "Let's go watch it. Let's go." watch and once we, you know, and everyone would just go and watch each H&M other's movies and support them, and they were all good. It just not, wasn't one of those starry film festivals where we need, you know, and there were not famous, famous people in the movies. They were just like art first, you know? um, good stories that are going to play well in a cinema. And that was what was really cool. Yeah. i a lot yeah. of festivals before, and sometimes it's just a business model, or, you know, sometimes in Australia, you know. Our Christmas movie didn't get into a couple of festivals, we weren't really ready, but I was like, you know, I kind of knew why we weren't, you know, a government act movie. We'll just come in, you guys, and you know, and that, that serves so a purpose when they're supporting a festival and supporting a movie. They want to take totally get it, yeah. Um, but Austin was just at the right time, and it was just the right sensibilities. Like, there's a, it's a lot of music in our movie um you know they love the middle kids they are quite popular over there mm. yeah it was just like I couldn't have picked a better place and I hoped and just the timing because it was like a couple of weeks before the Ozzy release too so yeah it sounds like it was an experience that was meant to be for you yeah you know what there's a lot about this movie and the end product is a result is like result of that that there was, I don't know, you call it serendipity or faith. Or my mm, first mm. my first AD said it's the film gods, mate. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I've worked with film devils, so but there are film gods. <laughs> and there were some things, right? <laughs> there were some things, there were some happy accidents that mm. just happened mm. with this movie, mm. and I just went, wow. And I wasn't controlling it. It was just, I think it was the intention and how we were going about what we were trying to do. Yeah. And there was this energy. And... The camera picks up on that and it was just there. But yeah, and like things were happening. Like Darren Gilchanning comes in at the 11th hour. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine the movie without him in it. You're listening to the Cinema Australia podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at cinemaaustralia.com.au. Uh,
1: let's start talking about Christmas here. Uh, where did this idea come from for the film? And uh, tell us about developing the idea.
0: Well, we had this other project called Dish Lickers, which I hope is going to get up um, again. Um, and we were like, hey, after Locus, so I was like, hey, I want to try and make a movie that I write and it's got the characters in that heart and the an emotional truth, but in that sort of the landscape of sort of like a genre-ish movie because the marketplace loves those type of movies. And, you know, it sort of got together. We got a great actor. People were into it. COVID happened. You know, nothing, There was COVID. You don't have to go on about it and everything that's screwed up by COVID. So, I've you know, I had young kids and we were, what did everybody do the first Christmas? You know, most people had COVID, you couldn't see family members. And I'd had some people along the way in my journey say, you should make a Christmas movie because they always get licensed and they're all terrible. And I was like, yeah, hokey Christmas movie, whatever, you know. (laughs) So I sat down and I watched every Christmas movie, right? Every one of them over a period from like November to January, all the streamers, they were terrible. Some of them are just so bad. And apart from being bad, I could not identify to anyone in the movie or yeah. the themes or anything. I was like, this is not like any Christmas that I've ever had, all my friends. Like mm-hmm. Christmas can be really, it's a stressful time in our household for many yeah, reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um and it's anxiety inducing. A lot of my friends with mental health issues can be very lonely mm-hmm. and we booze to excess often to get through it. And we spend yeah. it often with people that we don't really want to deal with. So mm-hmm. I was like, That's never really been depicted. Wonderful life the best one and it's a very yeah. dark movie like yeah. i don't even know if people realize it but at the end of the movie he's going to suicide in that yeah, he's, yeah 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 and i was like actually if we're going to do this and it's got to be you know diy and we've got to shoot it during covid so that means we've got to be in a bubble i was like this christmas idea what do people do at christmas they go to a family home and they sort of hang out at the home and i was like we could actually do this and it's not going to look like we don't have a lot of money and yeah, we're trying to just yeah. tell the story. It's like yeah. this is the movie. yeah. Right. And so then I yeah. sort of knew I had the themes and, and I knew I had sort of the setting. And Steve LaMarkin was his first job out of acting school, Joel I and like David Wynnum and those guys had hit in a pen, doesn't like most great things related to film in this country. Yeah. His first job was as the mall Santa Henry Plaza Mall like he just finished acting school and that was his first job but well, I always thought that was hilarious and kind of tragic at the same time. You know When did like, you hear that story? When did he you hear about that? Abra, yeah. When <laughs> we were making Broke, I was right. like, Oh man, you goes, you know, I was like I did the Santa guy and I was like, you know, because 'cause we're talking about that that stuff deals with like addiction and he was taking drugs you know, he was on acid at the time and I was like, mm-hmm. Oh my god, that's hilarious. We should do something about that one time. And we kept talking about it and you know. Never really sort of considered it until I was you know, the COVID happened and I went, I've got a thread here. Yeah, the whole yeah. idea of the traditional values of prisoners. I wanted to sort of like start, you know, discuss those and examine those in a contemporary light and tell this sort of story. And I thought, we're gonna have a broken man here I met not- Steve and I always discuss maybe there's a trilogy of this the broken man of sorts, Ooh, you know. And I was yes, like, yeah, there's a movie here and it's going to be subverting every Christmas movie ever. It's not crass like Bad Santa. It's yeah. just a movie about people going through difficult things at a very stressful time. Yeah. And when I had that thread and I knew the character, it just came out. And I even wrote it for Hannah from Joy from Middle Kids, who I didn't even know. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Now, I look so, back
1: on, you, you did just touch on it then, but I did look back on the Broke trailer last night and Steve Lamarquin's qu- character in that, Shero and his character here, Chris Flint, they do have a lot of similarities. As a writer, what attracts you to these broken men and this
0: this want well, to humanise them? Maybe I am broken. Um, yeah. I don't know. You, you look at all the you know, the Coen brothers. And you look at even Noah Hawley's these fuck you know tv and you look at breaking bad and you look at better call cool Saul. i've always just resonated to the broken men because they're yeah, interesting yeah. Yes. but not like despicable broken men that aren't really Just mm-hmm. most men are broken in some way shape or form and i grew up in an area that you know it was working class town of mount drouldn cangeroth that was sort of my upbringing that was what i knew that's all i knew these were the people that i I, you know, I still know them and they w- there was good in them. They were just up against it. The battler, I've just always been uh, in that world. So in some way that's just embedded in my psyche and comes out on the page. And But those characters are interesting to me. I mean, I've never really been interested in writing a guy who is super successful and life is amazing and he has no problems. So yeah. <laughs> I don't see any drama in those no. sort of things. Yeah, um, no, that's right. And on a small budget, like you can't, create glossy like yes you can't go and have them dress in amazing outfits and live in these exotic locations and you know that's not what we're doing and they're not, they're not true either so no, it's, no. it's the truth um and you know you sort of right what you know it's not that every every script i've ever written is about a broken man but just the ones that we've been making at this small level mm-hmm. um in some way shape or form you know have that theme running through them and i think yes a lot of filmmakers have a theme and maybe that's their thing and that's kind of my thing I guess
1: yeah and yeah that's fantastic we're getting these amazing films out of it so that's great um uh, Steve has said that he's totally lazy when it comes to research and that he prefers to dip into his own life experiences when it comes to his performance is that the same with you or do you really dive into your research
0: well it depends it's like Oh, because some of the things have been like hard oh, to write, you know, I didn't identify with. I was like, oh, i got to find an in. And actors yeah. are always trying to find an in for characters, right? Mm-hmm. So, and if I'm going to, it always starts with character. And if I can connect to the character, then I'm like, okay, I know this person. And then I've just got to research the world, right? Mm-hmm. So, if I'm going to write a police procedural, I've got to know how cops are going to talk, right? So, but, <laughs> you know, unless you're a big successful screenwriter and you've got a bunch of researchers who just, you know, that's their day job. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it just when it's truthful, generally it's kind of an extension of myself or the people I know. Um, yeah, yeah. And then that's sort of, my, that's just been my process of how I write um, to a degree, um, you know. But, yeah, you sort of, I kind of often take, and I'm always trying to be positive, you know. So I always try and take some people that I might know, or and just be like, imagine I, you know, I like, yeah control that guy's life, and and this was the alternative for him. What would yes. it be like, and yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um. Other than being
1: such an incredible actor, what is it about Steve that makes you want to work with him uh, again and again?
0: Ah, uh, it's just a, it's just no pretense, man. He's generous to everybody. He's mm. just like, oh, always so I can hang. I had on him. That's just you know, getting something interesting on. Just you put the camera up on a close up. It's like this. He's thinking. There's stuff going on behind the eyes, right? That's always interesting, and that's filmmaking—showing not telling. And there's no ego. He's just easy to work with. He's just he's choosy. Like he won't just do anything. He's a real artist, so. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've, we've got a good shorthand. This is very similar. We grew up in the same area. So we've got that. He embodies the sort of every man quite well. And you sort of, yeah. kind of empathize with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and other actors want to work with him because they know they're always going to be good in a scene. And, and he's generous. Yes. Like, yeah. it's never about me. Mm-hmm. Like, he helps first time as unknown actors. he'll do, yeah. He'll go to the end of the earth for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. For nothing. He will do that when he's in, he is fully in and he won't complain.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. When you're making a movie, you're you're going to war together, literally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, you're in the trenches and you're going to get out of the trench, and you don't want to be in the trench. And you look to the guys next to you, you know, Mm -hmm. you want to know they're coming over the top with you, not going to leave. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And that's very rare. That's very rare. Mm
1: Did Steve really do something to his ankle while shooting this film or was that all acting?
0: Because it looked no, a little bit too acting. real. It was all acting. It yeah, was all acting. <laughs> Although he's got dodgy knees and they didn't, <sighs> yeah, they were dodgy pre-broke. I think at the end so we made him run a lot. They got worse. Over time, he's just had two knee replacements. Oh, so, wow. yeah, so I think all his joints are a bit buggered in some yeah. way. Yeah. Or, but, yeah, no, he's fine, uh, he's, like, That's the other thing. He's actually really funny too, right? So he can do the drama (laughs) and he can do the humour without playing it up ever, right? So not a lot of Yeah, not a lot of like to be dramatic and to be funny. Mm. That's very hard to do that, and he helps Mm. you bring that pathos into a movie, right? Like Mm. that's very few can do that, and it's Australia. It's small. We don't have a lot. Of talent to pick from Uh, actors will argue with me but it's very very difficult to carry a movie and make a movies that i make so yeah
1: yeah no you're right there you're right um uh, i'm really keen to learn about the casting of hannah joy Uh, she has done some acting in her time and she's obviously filmed music videos with her band middle kids um so she does have plenty of experience in front of the camera but how did her casting come about this is a really interesting one
0: well, I, made. it was so I cast Steve once upon a time, although I had friends that were with Steve. I, I'm a fan of the middle kids and I a big fan of the songwriting. And if you listen to the lyrics and you listen to, they write these sophisticated sort of pop songs. Mm. Um, a lot of the songs, um, you know, they're kind of bleak and they're about sort of Hannah's relationship with alcohol and mm. I was like, okay, I'm writing this character and I wanted it to be a music character because it was during COVID and a lot of my musician friends were really struggling with their mental health because they weren't playing and playing is their therapy, right? So that was taken away from them. And at Christmas, Christmas is a very musical time. We have the carols and all of that stuff and I was like, it would be interesting to have like a a musician in in that house. And... I just, started, and Hannah came to mind. I'm like, yeah, she probably looked like Hannah. She probably did this, and I knew she looked amazing on camera. I Just wrote it with her in mind, and then, and then up to a stage where I was ready to show it. And I start. I said to, to Steve, because Steve's a fan of the band too, and I was like, oh, Steve, man. yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send this to this girl Hannah Joy from Italy. Do you know him? He goes, I love that band. I said, <laughs> yeah, me too. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna just give it to him. And so I reached out to our Facebook because we Facebook friends, and I said, "Hey, Hannah, I've written this script, and there's a role for you as a lead. you ever thought about acting? Because you know, I think you could be awesome in this for these reasons." And it was like, "Are you crazy, man? Like, I'm like, what?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it's for real. It's not a joke." It's like, "Well, send it. I'm really curious to read it." And they weren't playing. But the band was on, you know, COVID hiatus. Yeah. So. yeah. I she read it a couple of days. She goes, you know, I really love this. It really spoke to me. I think I want to do it. And I was like, well, let's, you know, meet and see if we, you know, we get along and if we get along, then, you know, we'll start seeing if it's going to be possible. So we met, like, you know, park somewhere I think we had our masks on. And and then we got along and I was like, okay, well, if you do the hard work and I'll meet you there and it's going to be, you know, something that I think could be really life-changing for you. And she was really, it gave her a, a purpose in that period of time, even though she's got a mom and whatever. But mm. and so we didn't rehearse much. We just discussed intent and backstory and all those things. And I just got, it was my job to instill the confidence in her that she did. And then we had that COVID break. And I was like, well, I think we're maybe ready just to mess with camera. I know you'd be in front of the music videos, but you know, you, you're two great like powerhouse actors around you and mm. the whole crew and we move very quickly and there's a lot of dialogue and she goes, oh, I actually just enrolled to do a short course at NIDA for camera and <laughs> she was doing it on her own bat and she turned really? up like, yeah, it was like Monday and Thursdays I think in the night time. Yeah. Most of the students were Middle kids fans, right? So yeah. she turned <laughs> up and everyone's like getting her autograph. <laughs> it was kind of like the movie, a little yeah. bit, right? Like Steve's there and like, and and so we it came time that we're going to do this movie and then I was like it was the biggest creative risk i have ever taken I was, just, I was just confident she could do it and that you just don't know on the day it can be very daunting when you haven't done it before but she's performer, man. so yeah, yeah. and I, was, I tried to encourage her to make that character herself as much as possible put a lot of her life into it and she's just a natural and we were really just like wow what but what
1: surprised you the most about
0: working with her just the humility and like she never lost the cool. She was patient. She had that ability to like adapt because we had bad rain. We changed schedules. I was like, you remembered your lines and like to the point that you, she knew intent. I didn't have to direct and say, you know, we had all those conversations and she just knew when to hit a line, when to look up in a line or the back, what that line, the subtext, not the subtext, like just totally understood, it. really intelligent. And, I was like, this girl, and we're all like, wow, you know? And so, week one, week two, by week three, she was owning it. She didn't want to leave. And she got that inspired by the whole process that each night she'd go back to the hotel. She was in the good hotel, everyone's crap one, because you can't put a rock star in (laughs) in a town hotel. And she was writing songs for the new record, because in a month, that window, they went to the UK to make a new Middle Kids record. And most of those songs come from the experience being in the movie, at least half.
1: Yeah. Just incredible. Well, wow. what it a story. Like, and I've got a feeling that this won't
0: be the last time that we see her in a film. Well, I told her, I was like, we, you know, we connected. Now when you make making, there's a long period of time when you finish a film to getting it released. And when she's got a life, she's got a band to America with big bands. And so you know, she went off and did that thing and we went off and finished the movie now we'll come back in the world. But it was during that making of the movie, I was like, Hannah, I've got this up. You know, I've always wanted to make a music film. Yeah. yeah. This is the world and it's setting. Oh, I love love. I'm like, actually. And and so we would talk and then, like, in between, like, set-ups. And then during the movie, the whole plot came about. So by the end of that Christmas shoot, I was like, Hannah, I'm going to hide away while we do posts and Romaine's going to do an assembly and I'm writing... And I knew all the, and I went away. Um, Screen New South Wales, loved the idea, and got me some money, and I got a good script, and I just went out, and I've written this. Thing. So hopefully, we get that—that that can happen, and then I can retire. I think. Yeah, I love it
1: how you say. Um, oh, this will probably be my last film. I don't know if I can do another one. There's no way that
0: you, you, you're going to stop. Oh, it's it's it, in. It's, it's in. But it. life, there's life, and there's other things. Yeah, yeah it's that's just, right. Yeah. It's so it just takes so much from you and takes so much time in it. And it's other people too, right? I can't make these movies without me and these people. And so, you know, I'm pretty loyal and, you know, that's it's collaborative. So there's all of that and there's money. You just never know. Like every now and then I look back and I see the posters of the old movies in my workstation. Mm Like, how the fuck did I make that movie? Now, um, you know. there's a lot mm. of, like, your life, it's, yeah, there, there's a lot that goes into it, not just, you know, as I said earlier, physically, financially, yes. emotionally, yes. spiritually, yep. like, intellectually, all of it. Like. Yeah. Now,
1: we can't talk about uh, Steve and Hannah without talking about Darren, and, and in my opinion, this is arguably one of Darren's uh, best performances here, but during the crowdfunding announcement, those initial announcements, Susan Pryor, uh, was originally cast in this role. Um, are you happy to talk about what happened there, or how did Darren? Yeah,
0: come on? Oh, look, you know, this is a, this is the business of making movies. Um, mm. Sometimes things don't work out. You have contracts and agents and people, and and then there's a little bit of like doubt too, and more like oh yeah, the hour, and there was like him because I'd originally I'd originally written like Susan. I, I love Susan. She's like yeah. you know, I still consider her just one of my favourite actresses in Australia. Oh, yeah. But what I learned on this movie is to follow my instinct more than anything ever because at the beginning, we're trying to get more money. And when mm-hmm. I pitched this idea, people said you can't make a movie with two men as you leave, right? Mm-hmm. So the initial script was a guy which was like – and so then I was like in another draft, it was like Steve being rescued sort of by these two ladies and, you know, and and but it was just not, you know, there was something not ringing through about it. And then um, schedules and all this sort of stuff and uh, there was a combination of factors and it was like, you know, the God, the spirits were telling me that's not meant to be with this one, go back and follow their instincts. And then we're going to use Darren, um, he's going to do a favour, he's going to play the the actual scene that Aaron Glenay in that amazing monologue. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was going to come and do that as a favour. And I was like, actually, I want to go back to this. And would you do this? And he goes, I'd kill for that. And I was like, well, let's do it. And so that came at the 11th hour, man, literally. And so then my biggest concern with that was was Hannah because she's not used to, this is filmmaking, it happens all the time, right? When on big budget movies, you you get your film like kind of up. Most of the time, by the time you turn over on camera, 50% of the cast that were attached to Ring the Finance are not available and don't end up doing them. That's how most movies are. And that was one of the things when I I learned that really disappointed me and i like, but that actor's perfect for this, like, So these are the things that happen with the business of filmmaking that no one talks about. And I was like, well, this is just how it is. It's a happy accident. Darren's going to come in and it's going to be amazing. I just had to get Hannah on. I just needed to get her confident. There's two men this time and she was always in her head. I said, look, don't worry. Darren's like a professional and he's an amazing actor. He's very generous. I know he's a different person, but (laughs) it's still going to be great. And then just trust me on this. You know, there's a lot of trust, and so she Darren turned up and we did this read. Like, we did a read on like maybe the Saturday, and we were shooting on like the Monday. And it was, we did a read on location, like, and it was great. We all just went, Look, so mm-hmm. um, and it, I can't imagine the movie without him. I tell Darren all the time, I said, This his involvement just at took this movie to another level, and it really did. Because, it was just meant to be that camaraderie yeah. and that connection and that you know the that the man the man sponsor with the man guy like, it just felt like that's how it was supposed to be. Um, yeah, I was going against the instinct, and I've learned over time that when that happens, it's you know it's not the right.
1: That that's right, and uh, one of the scenes that really sticks out here is a great example of of this dynamic between um, Steve's character and Darren's character. Is the scene towards the end of the film in the car. Um, oh. they, they, they these two bounce off each other so well. Uh, tell us about filming that scene. How
0: many takes uh, did it take to get right, uh, or you, was know it, what? you know fairly quickly? Believe it or not, when I say this in the Q and A's, everyone goes, "Wow, one take." Really? I just, I tried to do a second and it rained, and so we just oh, stopped yeah. and went. Yeah. But I knew we had it with the first take. But you you know yes. you don't you try and do at least another in case something happens when you're like dumping the data or whatever. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. So. Um, but it was so good, and we wanna that was a scene that we still, it was about probably 60% there on the page, and it was mainly more Steve talking, like Darren came in and said, let me have a crack at it, and he wrote the scenes, and I went, that's really good, man, and then Steve was like, what if we did that? And then I was like, okay, boy, what I really want is just to be spontaneous, so we know the emotion and we know the information. I just want you guys to let it rip like you're on stage because it's going to be one shot, and it's just, you theater and sort of improv and you know where to go. And I'm like, okay, because it was like near the last thing that we shot, we were all talking about it the whole way during the making of the film. It was like building up to grand final night. When we got in the car, it was like the weather was against us. We had not a lot of time. (laughs) And it was like we're here now. No one spoke. It was like we got dressed in the change room. I, I drove. Oh, camera operator Chris is in the car and sound, I just rigged them up and that was it. Yeah. And we got in the car, I mean, and you could feel it. It was this tension. It was like we're living life right now. Yeah, and yeah. I drove and I just said, When you're ready, lads. So and you were I,
1: driving the car.
0: I was driving the Uber car because I just need to feel it. Like I've learned yes. to feel yep. scenes, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and I was listening and I was driving the car. And I was getting chills because I needed to keep it at a certain speed too, yes, right? Yeah, so we yeah. we figured this route out, and I was doing the speed, and I was like, "Fuck, it, don't fuck it up the driving because this, this is, is awesome." And I knew it; I could feel it. Yeah. You just we all, and I just went cut, and we all went. That's I just knew it, and then we got out, we watched it like in the Bunnings car park, <laughs> and. And it was no one around. We were just like, wow, giving high fives. And then it started to rain. It was yeah. almost like, again, one of those things. I was like, we've yeah. got this. And then we went to the server. We ate something. We tried to wait for the rain. And we gave it another go. We got sort of uh, halfway and it rained. I went, no, it's us like Yeah, yeah. We all yeah. sort of knew we got it. So it was one take, one chance, just totally bang, man. It was. Like, oh. It was one of the, that's the reason why. You make movies and all yeah. of the baggage and the stress. Like I've never, you don't, you know. Let's you, you feel like you're really living, like the yeah, actors yeah, do, yeah. the filmmakers yeah. do, and the rest of the world. Like I'm in this budget movie, right? Yeah, yeah. The rest yeah. of the world's going by. I'm driving this car. There are like regular people mm-hmm. at that time of night just going home doing their thing, but we're in another world just doing this thing that nobody knows about. Like it's yeah, really like amazing.
1: Incredible. And, and you say was, that's the,
0: the sorry. Sorry, go. What, ahead. The funny part about it all is we're on this back street and I'm driving like thirty or forty and some guy like come from nowhere who and like overtook me on the inside of this oh, like one no. lane road. And like I was like, Oh my god, he's gonna ruin this. And then the actors like just didn't blink. And yeah. I kept it together. And at the end of it, I said, Did you guys aware of that guy that just <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but they still with the yeah, it was like I, oh, that's just, incredible, mate. It was like it was it was like a grand final, and the pressure yeah. was on, and because yeah. that was the north star of the movie, right? Like yeah. everything builds up to that point because you still yes, don't know yeah. who Darren is and what his purpose is. That's right, all of that stuff, and it just all comes out at that point, right? and it just works.
1: Yeah, and you say that's the reason that you make movies, and to me, that's the re- this particular scene is the reason that I watch movies for those kind of emotional heights. So you guys nailed it. Congratulations yeah. on that.
0: Thank you. And we didn't have to fight it again. It was one of those things that just sort of happened. That we, yeah, you get the right actors, you get the right scene, you get the right people, and yeah. the right intention. Yeah. And there's an energy, and the camera picked up on that. It yeah. Totally picks up on it. The camera's like an animal. Yeah, like, yeah. and I can smell out, like, <laughs> bullshit
1: and dodginess. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. Um, so Christmas will officially uh, be released on November 30, but the film has enjoyed some successful early screening so far. Has it been a surprise for you to see screenings sell out so quickly?
0: Oh, man, always a surprise. I mean, a <laughs> yeah, surprise when anyone turns out to watch a film, an Australian <laughs> film, an indie film, a movie stars, and even the exhibitors are like, oh, and like, like, Cinemas are down like 35, 40% patronage. Mm-hmm. Like, so, um, you know, anyone turns up to watch these things, I'm like, wow, amazing. We don't have ads on television or whatever. And, but when they're not only turning up, but then it's like they're loving it. The response is like speaking to so many people. And that is the reason why you make the films, because you're moving them. And, um, you know, and, that there's just no um, I money mean, there's nothing can you know can really like fulfill me just replace that experience and that's kind of why you do it it's not easy and these events, you can sort of promote them. But, yeah, you know, like we sold them out and there's three on opening night at Indy Newtown, three cinemas, the biggest ones in indie Newtown sold out just for this movie in Sydney. It's just so,
1: incredible. I love I hearing like, this.
0: There's got to be three Q&As. Like, oh, my God. Like, I've yeah. never done that in my whole life. <laughs> so, so you'll be
1: jumping. What's the go, Hey, like- hey,
0: hey. You know, and you want everyone to feel like you're accessible to everybody Sort of have a good time, yeah. yeah. So, but you know, it opens on Thursday. You want people to go, and um, you know that's uh, that's the trick with this movie. And you know, there's a streamer where it's gonna go to at some stage. um, But it's a movie that it's got such heart and that emotion, and it's about human connection. So when you get people together in that forum watching it, it's a cinema experience. This movie, you know. That's how the film's supposed to be consumed, and they benefit. You, you enjoy it way better. You just, you just—it's it's almost like a different experience watching it at home and watching it at the cinema. But you know, yeah. there are realities. Um, but yeah, you get together with people, you laugh together, you move together, and you just feel that energy. It's kind of like that scene I discussed with you with the with the. You know, you want that energy on your film sets for the camera to get it, and this movie sort of creating that energy in the in the in the theaters. So yeah, that's yeah. what's great about it. Uh, are you looking forward to Christmas this year and
1: having a bit of a break?
0: Ah, uh, yes, I've got a date where I'm going to go. Yes, and um, well, it's not really. It's never a break. You got two little kids, and you know, you've got yeah. the dates, of feasting and the holidays. But I'm sort of. We started to sort of make something else. This documentary. Um, we've done some filming, so I'll be there's a few things that I'll be writing over that period. Um, And, you know, we've got, we're still dealing with the sales agent with Christmas and hopefully that'll all be sorted and they'll be able to get it out in the new year. And we've also got the blind sea documentary that we're, Mm -hmm. you know, we're doing the sound on. So, Yeah, there's no, it's not really restful, but yeah, I'll definitely be a period of time where I'm not thinking films. I'm looking forward to watching films.
1: Yes, great. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a, that leads me into my final question here, actually, which I ask uh, all of my guests on the Cinema Australia podcast. But have you seen any Australian films lately that have stood out for you that uh, you urge listeners to go and see?
0: Probably uh, that documentary. It was a documentary about. Craig Foster and the soccer documentary where he tried to get that um, young soccer player who was imprisoned in um you the in the Middle East. Do you know that it's a stand No, I
1: don't know it. Oh, oh right.
0: it's like well, I'm actually stuck with the title. Let me actually bring the title up. Um it's on stand now and it's a terrific story. So Craig Foster who's to be the Australian of the year, him and some strangers went to bat to free this um, he's a, he was a, a soccer player who played for Afghanistan and sought asylum in Australia. But when he went to represent, he was a good soccer player, then he representing a club in, um, in Australia, they played in Thailand and I got them arrested him because um, he was wanted allegedly for a, for a crime in Afghanistan, which was the whole scam. So he was in prison. Craig Foster went to bat. Um, publicly get to free this man out. He didn't even know, um, but he just happened to be a soccer player. And it's a terrific story. Unbelievable. And all these it... random people got together on social media. It's the power of social media mm-hmm. that actually um, got this guy out. It's called The Defenders, I think. Yeah, The Defenders. The fans. Yeah. yeah, a gripping true story of how a former Australian football captain and a ragtag team of social media warriors challenged two monarchy, uh, monarchies um, and obviously uh, a military just sort of ju- ju- uh, jaunter and the world's richest country to fr- uh, and the FIFA to rescue the life of a player save and save the soul of football. Essentially, it taps into all those themes. It's a really beautiful character study about Greg Foster and some random people he didn't know a man who was wrongfully imprisoned and freed him. It's like, yeah, and it was oh, really fantastic. And, and what they did, um, is the filmmakers actually went out, it was happening, they actually captured the process as it was happening. Um, yeah. uh, and so it was a very current story. This sort of happened in, you know, in the last year, um, but sort of just dropped on stand without a lot of fuss. But it's called yeah. The Defenders. The
1: Defenders, um, okay,
0: yeah. that's great. And I'm glad that you've. Out. Yeah, yeah, and I'm Craig glad Foster, that you've
1: mentioned a film that uh, yeah. that I hadn't heard of before.
0: Yeah, after you meet Craig, he uh, just—I've always been a fan of Craig F- Foster, and he's just an intelligent and compassionate man. But after you see this documentary, you want to, just, and he should be the prime minister.
1: Oh well. Wow.
0: Yeah, um, all the oh, defenders documentary. Check it out. I'm
1: really looking lovely. forward to checking it out. um Hey, thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's been a pleasure chatting with you as always, and uh, I look forward to many more chats in the future. But thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for being uh, just uh, you know a bastion of support for myself and Australian movies. Just keep swinging the oak together, mate. Um, <laughs> together, one step at a time, one day at a time. Was what we say in the movie. Um, you know, and good things come. Thanks for listening. Find all the latest Australian film news at cinemaaustralia.com.au. You can follow Cinema Australia on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and TikTok.